Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Real Film Podcast. However, this is a new segment we're starting here called uh, the Review Show, presented by Real. So this is where we're going to talk about newer films. Uh, usually do like one big review where it's the film we've both seen and then if there's anything else we'll just sort of touch on it at the end Um, so we're going to start with something I think we were both really excited for which is A Quiet Place Part 2 so I think for us this was a bit of a long time coming did we see the first one in the cinema together I can't remember I know we were living together at the time I can't remember if we saw it together Um, I don't think I don't I feel like it was 2018, wasn't it? So we wouldn't have been living together. Was it? I don't know. Maybe we weren't living together then. I yeah, thought. I think potentially I, I mean, uh, we'd moved uh, houses. Or oh, well, maybe. I'd moved out. Maybe. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We had both seen it and we both, I know we both absolutely loved it. We thought it was, you know, a really inventive horror film. It came out not you know same sort of time as get out and it was really great to see these new directors do some really really interesting stuff so um this is going to be a spoiler filled review by the way we're not going to do like a a spoiler free section we're just going to get straight into it um so what expectations did you have going into it and like did it meet the expectations do you think it stands up against the first one or i think expectation wise you with something that's so good, like the first Quiet Place, you don't want it to... You're very excited for it. So I had high expectations, but there was also this little part of me that feared that they were going to diminish that, like, close-quarter, um, really confined story of the first one. But to be honest, it absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think it expands enough to keep you interested in the world, but it doesn't expand too much where, like the simplicity of what it's doing is is not never lost like it is just about this like crazy intense and at times just like it, it the, the first quiet place was one of the first uh horror movies that genuinely like the mixture of horror and thrill was like so pitch perfect to me uh, like like i've said to you so many times like it's not that i don't like horror films it's that i'm just a bit of a pussy um whereas this one made me scared but i was just so enthralled by it and the second one does that the exact same thing it's it's absolutely fantastic what about you what did you think i totally agree i think that yeah i think john krasinski absolutely hit the nail on the head here i think it's really interesting as well i was reading online the other day that apparently the original writers for the first quiet place uh had no intention to set up for a sequel so the fact that the first one was made in a way that wasn't intending there to be a sequel and that they've hit you know they've done so well with it i think is a testament to show how good john krasinski is as a director i'm pretty sure the writing credit on his as well but he wasn't the only one involved in the writing process you know i think it just is a testament to everyone involved um you know in in their skills as filmmakers to do that but you know, something that I I came out the other end, this is um, the first sort of big thing that I noted with this for me, is the first one is uh, absolutely genius in the way it uses sound. And I mean, the second one is too, but the first one obviously has a huge absence of sound throughout, which is fantastic. Although the second one does have a lot of those absence of sound, I actually thought what was really clever was the way that they sort of played on your expectations in that way, that there are long segments that have 
sound in them where you potentially would have expected there to not be sound from seeing the first one. So, um, for example, the the sequence I was thinking of is the one where Emily Blunt comes back to Killian Murphy's sort of little underground room and there's one of the monsters... Um, sort of lurking around there was so much noise through the rain and everything like that going on whereas i think if you were going into this after watching the first one you might expect a sequence like that to be completely silent i think the way that they play with your expectations about how the sound is going to be i thought was really really clever um yeah i mean there's yeah. many things i liked about it but that that was the first thing i took away yeah i mean that is fantastic i think like I said, I mean, there was a worry that it was going to diminish the sort of uh, confined story of the first one. I think this one's really, it does the same thing, but on a slightly bigger scale. So the first one, I mean, obviously there's the, you know, it establishes all these characters, it builds their world on this farm, and it's so good at that. And then basically for the rest of the film, it is just balancing each person's like little story and little um, engagement with the aliens. And it's kind of the same in the second one it just happens to span more time and space um yeah so i think they kept the core like they kept the core of the first movie but they weren't afraid to you know expand on it what did you think of uh killian murphy's character so he's obviously the newest addition to the cast yes i do you know what i actually really liked it i thought he wasn't the most inventively written character like like he would I don't think that they were pushing the boat out like trying anything too groundbreaking with his character but I really liked him in it I think he's a fantastic actor and I thought his performance was really really great too and I don't know I just I think he was really really great cuz there was there was this whole left by John Krasinski's character dying in the first one and I mean we can talk about the opening sequence in a minute too but um uh I I really, really liked his performance. I really liked how he sort of slotted in. Like, he wasn't replacing John Krasinski's character. He's not becoming the paternal figure. He is just someone else who is, like, consistently in the film throughout. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there was a hole left, and it was kind of nice that this hole almost got filled in a way. Um, and I really liked that he already knew them and stuff. I know that it's a little bit... I don't know, it might be a bit contrived, it might be a little bit sort of coincidental that this is the guy, you know, this is one of the oldest family friends who happens to be living really close by and all that. But I don't know, I thought I thought his performance was great, I thought his character was relatively interesting. As I say, it wasn't groundbreaking, but I think it was really entertaining. Um, and yeah, I really I really liked him in it. Do you, uh, do you feel the same? Or Well, I mean, I, I wrote the review a couple of months ago now, but I think I said the thing, the only thing that brings it down in quality over the first, I, I think the first is pretty tight and pretty perfect. But this one, it was that, like you said, he isn't very inventively written. Killian Murphy's a fantastic actor and he's fantastic in it. Everyone's great in it. Uh, but I do think when I when he first came up, because I didn't watch a trailer for this, I don't think. Uh, when I first went into it, and obviously Killian Murphy's got a history as an actor, he can he can play heroes, he can play villains. He's he's pretty, like, his performances can always be slightly ambiguous. So I went into this thinking, oh, okay, I'm, I'm into this. Like, is he... And there was, like, hints at it at the start that, you know, he you know he wasn't this person that they knew way back when. He he has this potential to be kind of cutthroat and 
send them on their way. But as it went on, it does start. It felt to me it started to get a tiny bit cliche. But again, nothing wrong with that. I mean, the film is still fantastic. Um, just to go back to you, say, you know, we'll talk about the opening scene. Do you think? Because uh, I really love it. It's you know a prologue to when the aliens first hit Earth because they never show that in the first movie, which is very good as well. Um, I really like this prologue. You know, it gives us a chance to see John Krasinski's character again, but it doesn't feel like a vanity thing. Like, it doesn't feel like it's John Krasinski being director and being like, well, I should act in it as well. It's It gives us a little bit more about the world, you know, we're watching. So I, I really liked it. And that, you know, that bit um, when the policeman, that first, that first, like, a bit where the policeman is like talking to them and then all of a sudden it's just this alien just comes crashing into the car it's sort of like reminiscent of that first bit in the first film with the when the sun gets sort of whisked away by the aliens it's yeah it's, it's a pretty great scene to be honest yeah they're not afraid to um uh, step on the gas a little bit if you know what i mean like really do something that would make you jump out your skin and, and surprise you i don't agree as well they'd Honestly, this is that opening sequence is fighting to be my favorite part in the whole film, which mm. is, I don't know, I guess it's a little bit sad to say because you should be excited to see where the story goes, not where the stories come from, I guess. But yeah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's obviously a, a lot of it is made to look like an extended one shot. Um, there are moments where you can see where the cuts are, but like that's only if you're looking. And, you know, it's as, as someone who aspires to be an editor, I do whenever something like that happens. I always do try and keep an eye out for the cuts. Anyway, yeah, of course, yeah. Sometimes I like. It's like when you watch 1917. Although yeah. it's a phenomenal film, you can't help but wonder. Oh, do you reckon they made the cut there? I think they made the cut there. You know, like yeah, it's kind of like when you watch it, Birdman but... as well. When you watch Birdman, yeah, you're like yeah, it you... must have cut there. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't help it. But I think that opening scene is absolutely fantastic. As you say, I don't think it feels like a vanity project for John Krasinski at all. I think it feels earned. I think it's really interesting because we really like him from the first film, so it's nice to see him come back. But like, it's really because of the uniqueness of the aliens and stuff like that. It's really interesting to see where it all comes from and something is as well that like you know how i was saying before how this this film seems to just have a lot more sound going on whereas the first one had yeah. a lot more silence this throws you in the deep end like straight away with sound like it shows you how much sound is going on <clears throat> excuse me is going on pre aliens landing do you know what i mean with all the baseball game and everything like that and like going into the shops just everything's so noisy um and i think it just shows you how easily you know, these aliens did start to, like, uh, kill a lot of people. Like, that bit when they're hiding in the bar and the girl's phone goes off. She doesn't even... Yeah. And she's talking mm. on the phone. And, I mean, obviously, at that point, they don't know that these things react to sound. But, I don't know, I thought that was pretty fucking stupid I of think, her. But Yeah, yeah I, I think that is a really good point. Like, obviously, in that situation, people obviously don't know. But if you think about it, the amount... There's one thing that the first film did was you realise how important sound is in our own life. And if these aliens mm. were to cr crash down and then all of a sudden it was the sound that was what triggered them to, like, kill, they're going to demolish half the world. So it properly, it, it really does just justify why there's barely anyone left on Earth, basically. Yeah, for uh, sure. One thing, one thing I also really liked was that, like, in uh, with John Krasinski's character now being dead, is that his daughter... Uh, is it Mill Millicent 
Simmons, who plays his daughter. Millicent Simmons, um, yeah. Yeah, she becomes... Well, she is the main focus. Like, I think it's really good that they made her the main character. Like, the main main character. I mean, there's every, they're all quite main characters. But uh, instead of, like, Emily Blunt... Because I love Emily Blunt. She's a fantastic actress. I don't think her individual arc was nearly, like, as important as her daughters, who obviously for the whole of the first one felt like she was slightly unloved and blamed by her father. And now in this one, she's trying to, you know, take on take on her father's role of being brave and stuff like that. I think it was really great. And, you know, having a deaf girl um, as the main character, you know, is really fantastic. And Millicent Simmons is absolutely amazing in it. She's fantastic. She absolutely smashes it. She absolutely smashes it. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. As you say, I think it was a fantastic move making it Millicent Simmons' story. Um, I yeah, I don't really know what else to add to that point. I just think she's absolutely incredible in it, and I think I think uh, when obviously it, it's pretty clear that there's going to be a third one. I don't know if they've announced it, but to me, this feels like a middle film. Yeah, um, and I feel like that. Uh, we're gonna. The third film is gonna be the resolution of her arc. That I think the trilogy as a whole will be, end up being Millicent Simmons' character's trilogy. Do you know what I mean? Like it will yeah. end up. She will end up being the main character of it all, and she'll because obviously by the end of it, she's the one who ends up killing quite a lot of these creatures. Um, yeah, and I feel like that's that's where this is potentially heading. Um, yeah. And I'm all in for that. I think I'm, I'd am i be game for that completely. Definitely. I think the only worry for me would be that I was really interested. You know how there's a small part where we see these humans that obviously like a lot of apocalyptic movies that there are humans that have taken like a really dark turn. Um, we see that in this film, but they're not in it very long. I feel like in the third one, they will play a big part if there is like a plan for a third one, which then yeah. definitely is. I mean... There has yeah. to be, but the only worry is that it you don't want it to turn too much into about like the humans because the aliens are you know the whole concept of the movie is dependent on the aliens so i i'm fully down i'm fully in for a third and i, I krasinski has kind of just proved himself as like a really fantastic director um absolutely you know you just don't want them to lose that sort of mojo that they've had for the past two basically absolutely yeah something i want to say actually about the humans is it's a reason why I struggle with some post-apocalyptic shows and films like Walking Dead's a prime example for me because I think The Walking Dead sometimes does take the easy route by making really, really unlikable evil characters and it just goes, here's a really bad evil person that wants to do this horrible thing to the people we like there you go, there's your um, you know there's there's your plot is you got to defeat the evil people whereas what i liked so much about the quiet place part one and also a lot of the part two is that you don't have your conflict through having these really evil people doing these evil things you just have normal people who are trying to make their way in the world and obviously john krasinski's family is they are john krasinski is really brave and millicent simmons becomes really brave but these aren't things these aren't like superhuman feats these are believable people you know just trying to make their way and to me that's always far more interesting than you know making these extremely evil characters unless you go 
really hard extreme into something like Mad Max, where the entire world has gone crazy and it's not about, you know, these normal, likable human people trying to make their way. It's just about people who aren't fucking batshit trying to make their way. Um, And I think, I think I'm hoping you're right too, that they don't go down that route because I do feel like that would, I, I know it sounds kind of silly saying that's the kind of easy route to go because it's not easy to write really harsh, evil characters that do these horrible things. But I, I just kind of feel like that's a, it's a bit of a scapegoat for a conflict in a film. Um, I think in an apocalyptic film it is because yeah, it's yeah. very cliche and I, I, I get why people do it. You know, it's, people like the idea of understanding like the human condition and how the how you know we would evolve in that kind of situation but it has just become so cliche and you're right like whether it's like one end of the spectrum where it's mad max where it's just absolute batshit crazy and it's fantastic or it's you know the first quiet place uh which is also fantastic it's like stay on either end and if you dabble in the middle it starts to become a tad cliche um yeah and i think that's why that the second one is, I mean, we've been talking about it for about, you know, 15 minutes now. We, you know how fantastic we think it is. That is one thing that I think could be a potential problem in the third one if they keep going is that it could become more cliche in t- if they start using these, like, humans that are just a bit fucked up and they become the main problem. But I have belief in Krasinski. I think he can make some, even if he does that, I'm sure he can make it in a way that we haven't seen before. So I'm excited. Oh yeah, I hope so. Uh, do you know what? I think one of the reasons, although I do really, really like this film, I think once all is said and done with this as a series, whether or not they make two or three or whatever, I do think this is going to be one of the ones that people will lean on on being the weakest ones. As you probably tell, like, can tell from the conversation, a lot of the time you're comparing it to the first one and talking about where it's going to go for the next one. I think it's. I think once the next film has come out if there is a next film it people will sort of talk about it as it'll almost have like that middle film syndrome do you know what i mean like yeah where where you can't help but talk about the first one and the third one in comparison to it it's really hard to talk about it individually on its own because it has so much to do with where the stories come from and where it's going um I don't yeah, I think agree. that's necessarily a bad thing for it. I think it's still a really great film. And I think if they do a third one and then they round it off there, I think, you know, we've got the makings of a fantastic trilogy here. I think they Definitely. would have to do something really special to cock it up. Um, and I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm probably going to eat my words. It'll probably be 2024 or something. It will come out and we'll do the review show. and We'll be like, oh, that Quiet Place Part 3 was rubbish, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm kidding. So, as a wrap-up of A Quiet Place Part 2 review, give us your sort of overall thoughts. What are you, what are you sort of thinking? I think it's excellent. They managed to make a sequel that was really interesting. They did uh, you know, some really exciting and new and interesting things, but also had like the really nice sort of mirror of how the first one ended and then sort of advancing that to the second one. I think it has this really interesting sort of um, resonance with the first one where you know, you can see the actual progression. I think having Millicent Simmons as the main character was an absolute stroke of genius. And I think it made the film just that much better. Um, and I just really liked it. I thought it was really likable and so watchable. Good stuff. And I would agree with that. <laughs> I think it's uh, a worthy sequel. Um, yeah. It's got 
it's got room for more discovery and i think it still stays stays like very confined like the first one and i just think krasinski has just proved himself as a hell of a director and i'd be i'd love to see what else he's got um yeah absolutely. but shall we shall we move on to the second film we'd like to do in this review show uh one we've both seen sure uh, which is Marvel's new Black Widow, first Marvel film we've seen since. Is it the first one they've released in the pandemic, right? Or like during the pandemic? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember when the last one. I can't even. I, I, to be honest, the MCU does blur into one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, like, obviously, we know there's been TV shows, so I was a bit unsure. Is this the first one since Endgame? Oh, no, m- maybe. No, the last one was Far From Home. Right, okay. July of 2019. So it's been two years, according wow. to Wikipedia. Because uh, Far From Home comes after Endgame. Oh, of course it does, yeah, because it's so, about uh, Spider-Man. Right, we got distracted by our yes. <laughs> we got distracted by our own misinformation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Black Widow, the first MCU film since Far From Home, which was two years ago. Uh, this one available on Disney Plus. Is it what? What do they call it? Extra access or something premier, like that? Premier, premier access. access. Obviously, or in cinema. Uh, always, always watching the cinema. But um, yeah, yeah. It's the solo film of Black Widow. Who? It's been a long time coming and overdue. I would say it is. So, what did you think of it? Yeah, I'm writing the review at the moment, and uh, you know, one of the one of the first things I said in it was that this film is super long overdue. People were talking about Black Widow having her own film. Um, back when the first Avengers came out, which was what, 2012? Yeah. So we're talking nine years coming, this film is. And it does... Now, I, I'm going to say this now. I do really like this film. I think there's a lot to like about this film. The one thing I will say about it, though, it does feel a little bit like they went, you've got your Black Widow film now, stop moaning. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It kind of... I felt a little bit of like... It was kind of like, you've got it now. You you don't have to... We've done the Black Widow film. And it's like, you should have done it 10 years ago. But yeah, no, I... As I say, I do did really like it. I think Scarlett Johansson uh, is great in it. I mean, she's a great actress. She has never been given too much to do with Black Widow. You know, at first when she was... She was introduced in Iron Man 2. Yeah. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. She was just this like, you know, sex object that didn't really do much. Mm-hmm. She's become super interesting and you know, obviously Endgame was probably up until this point was probably the most she had to chew on and I think as time's gone on, they've given her a lot more depth and given her a lot more to do and I think this is a, you know, the culmination of it all and I think it's really great that she does get to do that and she does get to show off her chops a little bit. And just before we go into praising it some more i'm hoping that you liked it as much as i did i did just want to say one thing because i don't want to i don't want to shit over it too much but i did think i don't know if you agree with me here it it undercut some of the drama with comedy too much that was just something i really felt with it that any any time and i think this is just a problem with a lot of mcu films almost any time they were talking about anything serious there was always a joke either immediately or the serious thing became the joke uh, and I think yeah. it just undercut a lot of the a lot of the drama for me. I don't know if that was like an a issue that like kind of came to my mind straight away. I I would agree. I think David Harbour's character slightly is like that. Um, but 
like you said, yeah, it's this thing that MCU have where I don't know they've they've managed to find a good balance of comedy and drama in their films since I don't know what film it was that kind of like took it off uh, this this kind of style but they do sometimes miss the mark. And I know what you mean. I think maybe it was like David Harbour's character doing it quite a lot. He's obviously the main, the main comedic like source for the film. Um, but I no, Florence I, Pugh as well. Florence Pugh yeah, has a certainly, lot of jokes yeah. as well, which I thought was, I thought was really good for the most part, but like just, just before you go on to reasons, I was just going to say the the one scene in particular that I had a bit of grievances with is when they're in the helicopter and they're talking about the, the hysterectomies and it's like, yeah, that becomes a joke. And it's like, this shouldn't be a joke. They force for forcefully being mutilated and it's a joke. And I was sat that I felt really uncomfortable during that scene. I know some people have talked about it being good because they thought like I was listening to one review of it and they said they thought that worked really, really well because it sort of normalized what was going on. But for me, it really just missed the mark because it was like, this shouldn't be there shouldn't be humor around this uh in the way that it is at least i don't know i could be wrong i'm open to being wrong i just i don't know i just it made me uncomfortable i was like i, I don't mean, know why we're joking if it makes about you, this. if it makes you uncomfortable then that is a problem that you have with the film there's nothing wrong with that is your opinion but like i do yeah. see what you mean i think in a way i mean i'm not going to I'm going to say in general not just on this i think they do have a good balance throughout the film for the most part um, this is obviously the, I mean, the biggest problem I think for me was it is long overdue. Like you said, uh, the part of the drama is taken away because Black Widow's story in the MCU has already kind of been told. Uh, we just don't know a lot about her. That's why they made this film. And you're right. It does feel like here's your Black Widow movie. Now shut up. Um, it also <laughs> feels like a slight setup, which most of the movies do now. They're just setting up new characters, but, um, yeah. So this one's set after Winter Soldier, Civil War. Uh, after Civil War, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's set just it's after the Civil one, War. It's the one when she's on the run from. It must be every War. government uh, ever. I think it must be Hang Civil on. War because she's <laughs> Captain America's side, isn't she? Or is she on the run from? Yeah. No, it, it must be Civil War. Twenty sixteen. So yeah, she's yeah. on the run for violating the Sokovia Accords. Yeah, civil war. Then. Yeah, okay. which is I. I just some sometimes I feel like the MCU writers just expect everyone to know everything straight away. Yeah, it did take me a minute. I mean, if you're a diehard fan, you probably knew instantly. But um, yeah, so it's after that, and obviously she. I mean, Black Widow is a great character. She has a lot of back, uh, like backstory that was unheard, and this is what it's about. And one of the best things for me is that it didn't feel like an action movie. It felt like a family drama with action in it. Um, yeah. Obviously, we get to meet basically at the start. You know, David Harbour is her um, sort of adopted father, kind of. They're all sleeper agents. Um, uh, Rachel Vice is like her adopted mother almost. And then they finish their mission in America, then go to uh, back to Russia. And then it, you know that's where it unfolds and then they all kind of reunite and i think the best parts about the film was like the family squabbling between the four of them the um i think that the the four of them have got fantastic chemistry uh david harbour's such a fantastic actor anyway rachel vice is fantastic she had a lot more humor in this than i thought she would and she's great uh and obviously scarjo and 
uh, Florence Pugh's just like one of the best actresses working today. She's so fantastic. Uh, obviously, the villain is played by Ray Winston, who has like one of the worst Russian accents. I mean, is there a, is there a more <laughs> is there a more British man than fucking Ray Winston? <laughs> but like, in a way, I think uh, he was actually a good villain, and I think the actual story of redemption for Black Widow is great. I mean, and it's not just about Black Widow. The idea that this guy is gaining power by taking advantage and basically controlling young women is a very uh well i mean i guess in today it's it's a pretty great story to tell in a way um like ray winston i love ray winston to bits his accent's horrible but uh it makes the redemptive arc less just for black widow but for like all these women, and I think in today's society, it's it's a great it's a great MCU story to tell. I think definitely, and I think uh, just talk about Ray Winston. I think he's a great villain. He's so menacing, and like, yeah. the fact that his accent is terrible, I don't even think really ended up bothering me that much because the <laughs> no, rest of no, his neither. Like, no. It's I think it says about it says about how good his performance is that you still find him menacing and scary, even when he sounds like. A Londoner doing a Russian, a really bad Russian accent, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I th- I think he's great in it. Um, but yeah, I think, as you said, I I think it's an important film to happen. I I remember, you know, just not to compare one film about a strong female character to another film about a strong female character. But yeah, um, with Captain Marvel, when it came out, there was a lot of backlash from fucking nerds and internet virgins saying that they didn't like a film about basically a strong woman and feminism and everything like that i think this one those sorts of people they're fucking idiots anyway captain marvel's great film but um (laughs) this film they will have i reckon they will have less issue with because i don't think it's but like although i like really like captain marvel it's not really subtle in this message at all (laughs) um whereas i think this is well, it's not necessarily subtle if you compare it to I don't know, if I can, uh, an art house film that would talk about the same topics, but I think it's a bit more gentle in its message. Uh, and I'm hoping that that means there'll be... I haven't actually seen any backlash against it, which is great because those fucking incels should shut up and, you know, stop There shouldn't talking, be. I mean, so. <laughs> I think it's a good thing for the MCU to do a story like this anyway, because, like, I'm sure, like, in the moment, they thought must have thought it was a great idea. You know that bit in Endgame when all the women say like come together and like mm. fight, and it's like it's a nice sentiment, but in reality, what you're doing is like, hey, we have women in the MCU. Let's just have one single scene where every female character is, and it's like we cover all bases. It's kind of, it, I don't know, it it kind of makes makes them feel like they don't they think their audience are idiots. It's like mm. we don't want just like one scene where all these women are all of a sudden powerful it's like make a fucking film with them and tell us how powerful yeah, they are it, in the yeah. in that single film about them so i think they've come a long way since that um maybe it was the pandemic that made them realize that but um no it's uh yeah i think it's a good story but it, and like you said it's a lot more gentle um i, I was just going to say that i think something that i really liked about the story is that it's not so much your generic uh marvel action film as well is more espionage more spy like which yeah, it's uh, close to almost like winter soldier uh isn't it like yeah. captain america winter soldier yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Which is, I thought was perfect and like a good way to, cause like those are things they touched on with, uh, like Black Widow as a character, like Natasha Romanoff as a character. Those were the reasons why she was included in the Avengers is because her skills in that were really great. And you know what? There was moments in this film and I think, I think these are real positive moments, real highlights. Do you remember in the first Avengers when she goes in to talk to Loki and pretends to let Loki get to her and then to find out his plan. There's Mm -hmm. moments a bit like that where she isn't afraid to make herself look like she's losing to turn it around and become the winner because she knows that, that the ego and it's always, it's always men It's the ego of men to make themselves stronger than her. Mm -hmm. She will use that to her advantage. And I think there's multiple moments like that in this film that I think are superb. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot to really like about the way the story is constructed like that. At yeah. least I thought there was. Um, yeah. I think it's, a, yeah, I think it's a great addition to the MCU. Uh, it's a shame that it's come now because like it kind of almost doesn't really feel like it's part of the MCU. It's just kind of like an attachment onto the overarching story, which is annoying because it's one of the better solo films I've seen in a, in a while. Um, yeah. But I'm glad the character's finally got a voice. Um, and that's really Definitely. important, I think. Uh, and I'm excited to see Florence Pugh in more MCU movies. Yeah, well, this is it, isn't it? That it does kind of feel like this is this was whole a setup for, for Florence Pugh's character going forward, which is a bit of a shame for, you know, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. But I'm not that bothered by it because I really liked Florence Pugh's character and I think she's going to be really interesting. And going forward, I think she could be a really interesting addition to the MCU. And as you say, like every Marvel film is now setting up something else. And it is starting to grate on me a bit. I kind of wish you could just do a film by itself. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't even. I can't even think what I reckon the last film was that probably wasn't setting something else up at least directly um for, for, no well i suppose i suppose it, i suppose in a way that every movie does because they have the end credit scene but maybe like four three i was thinking that thor ragnarok like, that was very much a thor thor movie isn't it black panther came after it though and i don't very remember true. black panther feeling like a setup for anything else no that's a, so potentially a very black individualistic panther. one i think yeah yeah, it's more it's more in like the Captain Americas and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, they just it's just like they're always having to set up for the next film. And I remember thinking it, you know, um, probably around 2015, 2016, when the film started doing that even more. And I started to get a bit of fatigue in the MCU films then. So yeah. like now I don't mind going to watch them. I'm still happy to watch them. But I am I am kind of like, God. This is just, it's just like a very expensive TV show now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm a Marvel fan. Like, I liked them when I was younger, so I can I can still get on board with them. But they're not all perfect. But, you know, overall, I think Black Widow's fantastic. And uh, yeah. I think it's a shame that it came now. But it coming now means that, like, they've, created a story that's very apt to the like social situation we're in as well i think everyone's great and i think you know the balance of action and sort of family squabbling is really really great 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What would you give it then? I know we didn't talk about giving the rating for Quiet Place because the review is already out. Yeah. Um, I know what I'm giving Black Widow. I'm giving it a four. I think I would, I'd also give it a four. I think also a four for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's not perfect, but there is a lot to really like about it. Mm -hmm. So those are our two big main reviews. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Because I know there's films that... um, we've both seen and also ones that individually we've seen uh is there anything that's jumping to mind that you wanted to talk about yeah so netflix obviously have tried a risky thing of releasing a trilogy with, like within three weeks i think they released it uh, it was it's the fear street trilogy so the first one is fear street 1994 second one is 1978 and the third one is 1666 uh kind of an homage to the sort of uh, cheesy um, 70s slashers, uh, 70s, 80s slashers. It's kind of the first two feel slightly built on like everyone's nostalgia of like 70s and now 90s because people can be nostalgic about the 90s now. <laughs> uh, they seem pretty run of the mill until the third one, which is much more inventive and kind of brings everything together as a trilogy. But I would say, you know, just briefly not to go too much into the movies i think as a trilogy watch like as just as if you were just watching it as one continuous thing it's very enjoyable and i you know it's on netflix i suggest everyone go and watch it uh i recently watched the forever purge which i got no fucking idea which number purge it is five maybe (laughs) uh i i'm not a massive fan of the entire concept but the thing is that i know that they've got a bit more political and this one certainly is you know it's it's about uh the purge happening and then basically white rednecks being like no the purge is going to continue and we are going to purge our country and cleanse i would do an air quotes there <laughs> i know you can't see me uh, <laughs> but yeah they're gonna basically try and rid uh, it's set in texas so and then uh, while this is happening, basically America just turns into violence. Canada and Mexico open their borders for Americans. So, uh, yeah, it's political. It's it's okay. Uh, I appreciate them trying to sort of just headfirst, no subtlety, tackle the blatant racism in America. But it, as a film, it's a bit. It's okay, basically. And just one more before you, you know, you let us know what you've watched was in the earth which is ben wheatley's uh sort of pandemic film i guess uh really only has about four characters in it uh <clears throat> basically joel fry he goes to a he's a scientist and he's on his way to you know it, he gets led into the forest to go to some experiment that's going on that he knows and it, it kind of turns into a sort of horror folklore slash pandemic film and while i'm a bit done with all the covid pandemic stuff it's still a really great film it's inventive and it's freaky as shit so definitely go and watch that what about you what have you been watching recently there's two i've seen you know fairly recently one that i know we've both seen that we might touch on more detail i just want to briefly touch on because i think we'll probably talk about it in uh more detail another time was luca the new pixar film um i enjoyed it i wasn't head over heels for it i thought it was visually stunning i thought the story was relatively interesting but i 
my first comparison for it was Onward, which was the film that they did last year or the year before, year before last, um, where I just thought they didn't miss the mark. They're not bad films, but they're not doing anything that you would expect Pixar to do. They're not really pushing the boat out and doing anything too exciting. Onward has the really great sort of last 20 minutes but is a bit meh up until then, in my opinion, at least. Luca, I don't think, has anything as good as the last 20 minutes, but I think is consistently just that bit better. Um, although I did really like it. I thought the setting was stunning. I saw lots of people comparing it to Call Me By Your Name in this sort of Italian, beautiful countryside, infinite summer, making new friends and everything like that. And I can see that comparison quite a lot. Um do you there's a lot to like about it. It's a really, really likable film. Sorry to interrupt you. I just added because I saw a lot of things no. um, about Luca and how uh, a lot of the LGBT community have kind of seen it as a, you know, very subtle hint at you know young love between mm. uh, Luca and his friend. Uh, what do you see? Did you see that yeah. in the movie at all? I did. Yeah, I thought I thought there could be that. However, I did think knowing that. Pixar is owned by Disney. If they intended it to be seen in that in the relationship in that sort of way, I feel like they would have hit you over the head with it. Disney doesn't have a good track record with how they deal with LGBT plus uh, representation. It's either just completely non-existent or it's slapping you in the face and it defines their characters. That's always their biggest issue is their characters are nothing but whatever version of LGBT they are. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think it is there. And I think maybe in a few years time, people can look back at it and see it more like that. But I think for now, I think it's a really great rep- uh, a really great interpretation of it that I also thought, yeah, I can completely see this. I don't think that's what they were necessarily, at least the higher ups in Disney were going for. Maybe the writers and directors, maybe that's what they were going for. But knowing how the higher ups in, you know, this big company usually deal with it maybe they were going for more subtle than yeah uh, i was just curious because i've seen a lot about it and I, to be honest i think it, it can be if you don't think it's that then it isn't to you but if you want it to yeah if you yeah. want it to be that then it very well easily could uh so you yeah, know definitely each to their own opinion to be honest i just was curious to know if you actually like saw it if you thought it was like that I did. I did. I did hear someone say that before I went to go and before I watched the film, though. So I kind of went in thinking, I wonder if I'm going to see it like this. So I couldn't unsee it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. don't know if I would have seen it without hearing that. But yeah. I mean, I still really like the film. Um, but the one that I think is more interesting, and I don't want to talk about it too much because this is one I'm hoping that we can talk about again in the future, was Inside, which is the new Bo Burnham special on Netflix. Um, I don't want to go into it too much because I think it's best to watch it with the least knowledge possible. It's definitely not for everyone. Like you were saying earlier about how being you're a little bit done with the pandemic, some people have watched this and given them almost like Vietnam style flashbacks of (laughs) being locked inside because essentially it's about him creating a comedy special whilst being in lockdown between i can't remember the months but it's between 2019 and sorry 2020 and 2021 um i 
personally really like Bo Burnham usually. I'm not like head over heels for him. I think his comedy specials are normally quite good. I think he's really inventive with the way he makes his jokes. He has something, I think he has a theatre background or something like that. And it always comes through for me. Visually, it's always interesting. And he's always playing with, uh, you know, what you expect a comedy stand-up show to be. Um, I've always found his humour to be a little bit too, like, he he came from youtube so yeah. you know he was one of the first big youtubers his comedy's always been a bit like that and i think inside is i hate to say it like this this sounds a bit i don't know but it's like a mature version of all of that yeah like it feels like he's getting past i don't want to say getting past his youtube stuff because i don't want it to sound negative because there's still a, a large audience for that and people right. do really like that i just feel like it's a little bit more uh grown up I don't really know how else to say it without insulting his old version of his comedy because he has got some fantastic specials before this. It's not as funny as you would expect it to be. That's one thing I will say. But I think he is showing some really, really clever filmmaking techniques in this. Um, the only other thing I would say is when watching it, I just assume it's a character you're not watching him like the sequences where he's talking into the camera to me these are scripted they look scripted to me uh but that's not to its detriment i feel like uh i don't know i i, I feel like he's he's it's robert burnham making bo burnham talk about the things yeah that everyone was feeling that he was feeling uh the vulnerabilities and everything um I think it's really, really interesting. I think it's really unique. We're never going to get anything like this ever again because of its sort of singular nature of someone doing it through lockdown, uh, not alone, but making himself, like it does make you feel pretty alone. Um, and it's got some great songs in it too. Bo Burnham's a great songwriter. I don't, if you use TikTok at all, ever, you would have heard something like Jeffrey Bezos or All Eyes On Me white woman instagram something like that great songs um yeah i think it's really worth watching i think the only bo burnham song i know very well is uh sad from one of his early shows what's yeah, the what show great. is it yeah that's sad songs really really good i think what's the one that has the joke about the water bottle Right. where he comes on stage and he knocks the water bottle over and he puts it on and then it falls off and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he puts it back on. He goes, okay, let's get on the show. And then a pre-recorded song goes something like, uh, you thought he was meant to knock over, you thought he knocked over the water bottle by an accident. It wasn't, it was all pre-planned. Art is a lie, art is a lie. Um, <laughs> and I love that. And that's knowing he's done stuff like that in the past. That's why I went into Inside and I kind of came out the other end, like thinking, art oh, is a lie. This isn't a documentary uh at least that's what i thought uh i think it's really interesting though i think it's worth discussing if you do get a chance to watch it i think it's worth we could do a discussion on it because i think there's a lot to a lot to talk about with it yeah well i mean hopefully we can discuss any all of these in the future and you know uh if we you know this show is going to become a regular thing that we do hopefully you can if you go to our website realreviewing.com we'll hopefully have the uh, reviews up there uh more eloquently spoken than how we speak right now yes we mumble a lot yeah <laughs> we do and we just talk the shit you know we yes. just say things that come off the top of our head and then realize down the line that 
it was a dumb thing to say. It's good though. It's like a dry run for the review. It's like, ah, oh, I can say that. Don't say that because that was stupid. That makes you sound dumb. Yeah, you know? it's it's a tester. We use this platform as a tester to see how fucking stupid we are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to test how stupid we are. Let's be honest. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening uh, to this episode, the very first one of the review show presented by Real. Um, I've been Phil Wilson. You can find me on Twitter at Philson Wilson. And I've been Corey, and you can find me at Cospjord on Twitter. And then on all the socials, we're at Real Reviewing, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole shebang. You can find us at realreviewing.com. Uh, you can find the Real Film Podcast on all of your platforms, but if you go to anchor.com slash real film podcast or anchor.fm slash real film podcast, um, you find all the platforms that it's on Apple, Google Play, you know, everywhere. It's everywhere. We are everywhere. We are everywhere. <laughs> uh, hope to catch you in the next one. Yeah.